How are you guys this morning? This side is excellent. How about this side? How are you guys doing? Good, great, okay. (laughs) All right. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning, looking at verses 7 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue Bibles provided for you underneath some of the seats. If you turn to page 841, that will bring you to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Before we look at the passage and read it together, I titled this message, On Mission. In fact, if you look inside of your bulletin, I don't have one up here right now, on the inside there's an outline you can follow. You'll notice that the outline is very long today. Very long. Three points with three, well, five, I believe, seven, seven sub-points. I have seven pages of notes. I've never had that many before. (laughs) We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. If I go long, I will be beaten with many rods by the uh, children, care, takers. So I'm always afraid of that. But we'll see what we can do. On mission is what I titled this message. Listen, we can be on many things. On many things. In fact, in these difficult economic times, there are many, even within Summit Bible Church, who are on unemployment. Others, due to physical illness or disease, find themselves on disability. Paralyzing anxiety or depression has caused a large number in our society to now be on medication. Others, especially young people, are slowly destroying their lives because they regularly are on drugs or alcohol. Many parents are on the edge or on the verge of a mental breakdown because of the wonderful children God has given them. For that matter, many wives and husbands in their relationship with one another are sadly on their last leg. That's evident by the divorce rate that continues to burn above 50%. Maybe you've been burned by somebody or hurt one too many times and now you live your life on guard, being careful not to trust anybody. Every year, There's a new group of people who are dying to be on American Idol. I heard you want to be on American Idol, Alyssa. Is that true? It's a rumor I heard. I think you could do it. I think you could do it. And I was thinking more about that. I thought if you did do that, it would be a great opportunity to promote Summit. So I would encourage you in that endeavor. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you can identify with some of these things. Maybe you can't. But one thing that we must be on as followers of Jesus Christ is mission. We must be on mission. And it seems like in the church today we have forgotten or do not even know the primary reason for why God continues to leave His people on earth. Have you ever asked or wondered, why God just doesn't take you home the moment you receive Him as Savior? It's like, I mean, isn't that, okay, my home is supposed to be in heaven. I've accepted you. I'm ready to go. Have you ever wondered? Why leave you in this place? This place filled with trials, troubles, and many tears. Why? Why, God? 
My hope and dream for this church, Summit Bible Church, is that we will be a church that is and stays on mission. On mission. One man has recently said, and I'll just quote him, we build churches that become nothing more than hiding places for the faithful while pretending that our actions are for the good of the world. Christ never intended us, beloved, to hide or remain in the safety of our Christian fellowship, just waiting to die or for the Lord to return and rescue us. But instead, He wants us by faith to take great risk by going out into the world with the glorious purpose of making Him known. Even in difficult or hostile environments. Proclaiming Him until we take our very last breath on earth. Why? Why? Because nothing, beloved, nothing is more important than people having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Do you believe that? Well, your actions will reveal whether you believe that or not. Because for many of us, our actions reveal that we don't really, we don't really believe that. Something else maybe is more important. So this morning, you ready to get into the Word of God? Okay, so this morning, <laughs> I'm looking right at you, Tom, I'm waiting for the big loud voice. You ready to get into the Word of God? Yeah. All right, Woo. good. That's all I needed. Mark chapter 6, verse 7, let's start there. We're going to read through verse 13 and then begin to break it down. And he called the twelve, that is Jesus, called his twelve, and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, so Mark here is describing a historical event that took place in the life of Jesus during his earthly ministry in Galilee. A small group of men, 12 to be exact. This is just some background information for you. These 12, and if you've been with us through Mark, you know they have been following Jesus as his chosen disciples. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, they are now sent away from Jesus for a very short period of time to accomplish a very specific mission. This text that we just read was written by Mark not to give us specific instructions on how we should do ministry in the 21st century today. But there are principles here that can be learned and applied to the critical mission that Christ has given to his people for today. And I hope that's what we can get out of this this morning. So if you look at the top of your outline, you'll see there's a statement up at the top. And here's the statement. This morning we're going to explore three stages of the first mission Jesus gave to his disciples so that we might be reminded of and motivated for the mission Christ has entrusted to us. 
So let's get into it. First stage is they were called. Look back at the text. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And we're just going to move through the text verse by verse, and then we're going to make some application along the way. It says, and he called the twelve. He called the twelve. Mark is not saying that Jesus used his cell phone to get a hold of his men. That's not what's going on here. Instead, he is summoning He is summoning the twelve to come to him for a particular purpose. It is an authoritative call. An authoritative call. Like when you are summoned, or summoned, some English person will correct me later, for jury duty. For jury duty. In other words, he is not asking, he is telling. He is telling. When you get a jury uh, jury notice to come to the courthouse, there is a serious purpose behind it, right? They are not inviting you to a fun party. There is a reason they are calling you. And it is not optional. I know some of you think it is, but it is not optional of whether or not you can come to jury duty. In the same way, Jesus commandingly called his men so that they might fulfill a very important task. A task that Jesus has already spoken about and promised to give to them earlier in Mark. Just as by way of reminder, way back in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, remember when he called the first two disciples to come to him, he made them a promise. Remember what it was? Those of you who have been with us that long? Mark 1, 17, he said to them, You follow me, and I will make you become, yes, fishers of men. Right, so they're going to get out some poles, with some serious big hooks, with strong string line, and they were going to ring those men in. In a sense, yes, that's exactly, they were going to pull them in to God's house. Mark 3, 13, 14, again, by way of reminder, just, he says, he went up on the mountain, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So that gives us a little more description of what it means to be a fisher of men. So the time had come for Jesus' disciples to begin fulfilling their mission for life. Why? Is it because they had graduated from the school of Jesus with honors? Hardly, beloved. These guys are still messed up. In fact, they'll continue to be messed up. And, and, and Mark will reveal to us their serious shortcomings. But Jesus used them anyway. He used them anyway. Think about that. Some people think that they have to achieve a certain measure of maturity or spiritual level before, that they, before they can go on mission for Christ. These guys were messed up. And he's calling them to go on mission. Look back at the text. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve, and he began to send them. See that word there? Send. Send them out two by two. They were called, beloved, to represent. To represent Christ. The original verb there, translated send in your English Bibles, does not simply mean he told them to go. He's not not just kicking them out the door. But the word includes the idea of Official or authorized representation. Official or authorized representation. In other words, 
Jesus called his disciples to be his representatives to the world. Something like the U.S. ambassadors we have today. If you're familiar with them, maybe you're not. We have U.S. ambassadors and their purpose is they are sent out from our country to be America's voice and to act on their behalf. Some do that well, some do that not so well. But either way, they are representing and have behind them the authority of the United States in their ambassadorship. The point here is they were called not to advance their own agenda. That's what I want to make sure you understand. Or proclaim their own message. But to advance Jesus' agenda and proclaim His message. If we sent out a U.S. ambassador and he started going and she or he did it their own thing, we would rip them back and remove their authorization to speak on behalf of the United States any longer. Now, it says that he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. I want to comment on that quickly. The proof to the other people that these representatives would go to that Jesus actually made these men his authorized representatives who had the right to speak for Jesus on his behalf would be confirmed or authenticated by their miraculous deeds. If I, had a, if I had someone come and I was in another country and they came from the U.S. and they told me, I represent the United States of America, what do you think I would ask them for? Uh, lunch? No. I would ask them for some proof. For some proof. I want to know for sure that they really are authorized representatives. And they would pull out some sort of paperwork or something to demonstrate that they, you know, some special seal that would tell me, yes, you have the right to speak on behalf of the United States of America. In the same way, these men who were strangers were showing up and saying that they spoke on behalf of the king. They needed some evidence to demonstrate, some proof that they really were his authorized representatives. So... They were given the supernatural ability to do what only Jesus could do. He gave them the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick just as he did. And verse 13, if you look at the text, that's exactly what they did because it says at the end, they cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them and healed them. They were Jesus' representatives, not only in Word, but in power. Next, they were called, sub-point, second sub-point, they were called to go. So look back at this with me, the text, Mark 6, 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Now let me deal with that first, that two by two. They were called to go out two by two. This had practical benefits. Just think through, with, think through them with me. You can send more groups if you send them in twos as opposed to threes or fours, right? If there's 12 guys and I send them in fours, how many groups can I send? Three. But if I send them in twos, I know you're thinking this is ridiculous, but it's important. If I send them in twos, I can send out six. And if I send out six, I can cover more ground. That's one reason. The other thing is a partner, having at least one other person, would provide great encouragement, help, and wisdom along the way. There are inherent difficulties in trying to do ministry alone. I mean, I could not even imagine trying to do the ministry that we have 
done by the grace of God without having my wife, just as an example, another partner with me in the ministry, and then beyond that without having many other partners that God has blessed us with. It would be hard to go at it alone. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. To lift him up. So it was wise. Send them out two by two. Beyond that, the Jews had a law according to Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. And here it is. That in a court hearing, a testimony against someone would not be accepted unless there were at least two witnesses. At least two witnesses. This provided some level of protection from false accusations by one crazy party. Okay, so that was their requirement. In this case, Jesus sending them out not one by one, but two by two, would satisfy the culture's legal requirements for establishing the truthfulness of what they were reporting. And you can write down, if you take notes, John 8:17 through 18, Jesus refers to this again about the necessity of two witnesses establishing the truth. And he actually refers to the witnesses being him and his father, which they were rejecting in that particular context. Now, I gave you that just so that you have some historical background and a little more information. But I want, what I want to emphasize is not that Jesus paired up his men. But more importantly, in order for Jesus' men to fulfill their God given purpose or mission, they would have to leave the comforts and familiarity of the entire group and be sent out to go places where they would not necessarily be received well. In fact, people might even consider them to be fools or even liars upon hearing their message. And we see that in verse 11. That is exactly what's implied. Just look down at your text with you, chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus says, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, meaning, you can certainly expect that that's what's going to happen. Beloved, as we move through the text, I'm going to make application. If you have been saved, If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, then you also, along with me, have been called by Him so that you might be His representative, His voice, His message, even to a dark and hostile world who are often not receptive to Jesus. Look at this text with me. I'll just put it up here on the screen. 1 Peter 2.9. You don't have to turn there. 1 Peter 2.9. This is to us, beloved. But you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Do you want to know why God saved you? To have a bigger house and a nicer car? 
to proclaim the excellencies of Him. Christians sometimes are like little children. You know, they're not sure what they want to do or be when they grow up, and they're constantly changing their minds from one week to the next. My friends, make no mistake about it. Jesus has called us to be on mission as His ambassadors, as His representatives, as His voices to proclaim the excellencies, not just here, (laughs) out there, where it's scary, where it's hard, where it's difficult. You want to know why you and I are still breathing? Because I, I eat well and I work out. I took my vitamins. <laughs> no. It is because we still have work to do. That's it. Because otherwise it doesn't make sense. If I'm a child of God and there's no more work left to do, take me home. Why would I want to stay here? <laughs> Why? Even in the great country that we live in, No, Uh, there's a better place for me. So God, if you're going to leave me here, it must be because you still want me to do something. I wonder what it is. Proclaim the excellencies of the One who has saved us from the fires of hell, has reconciled us to God, has provided forgiveness of all of our sins, has made us new creatures, and has implanted deep within our hearts the hope of our eternal home. Our mission? Simple. Go and explain that to as many people as we can while there is still time. That's our mission. By the way, to proclaim Jesus is not the responsibility of a few or some select group in the church or some special spiritual gift that only a few receive. That's not biblical. No, it is the highest privilege and honor of all those who have been redeemed by the Son of God. And the more you learn about your salvation, beloved, the more you want to tell others about it. Because it is simply too amazing to keep to yourself. You know, we know this. Think about this, guys. Think with me. You get a cool gadget. Like, I don't have mine up here, but like a smartphone. Your iPhone or your Droid or whatever it is you have or don't have. Or whatever your cool gadget is. And what do you... What do you do after you've had that cool gadget for even a few days? You regret that you paid so much money for it? Yes, there's that. But you also typically share, you know, you want to tell people about your cool gadget. You're excited about your cool gadget. Check this out. Look what my cool gadget does. Or like when you get a new car, right? Come outside and check out my... Do you smell that? New car. New car. That's a... Yes. And the new controls and all this stuff or... Ladies like to do this. Do you see my new shoes? Right, you see. And we talk about the shoes and how incredible they are and where we got them and so on and so forth. Why wouldn't we want to show off Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't we be excited about Him, at least as excited, 
is these, these things, these things that, that we enjoy very much. Why? And you know why? Here's why, beloved. There is a battle going on. That is why. There is a battle going on. You know what? Satan is cool with you talking hours upon hours upon hours about your iPhone or about your new car or about your new shoes. He's cool with that. Yep, yep, yep. As long as you're talking about that, you're not talking about the one thing that really matters. Stage two. They were charged. Look back at the text. Mark chapter 6, verse 8. Mark chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He charged them. Stop right there. After authoritatively calling Him with the same authority, He commanded His men about how they would now carry out this very important mission. He charged them. By the way, this was not open to discussion. This was not a democratic process. Hey, let's have a vote and see what you guys will do. No. Every good soldier knows... Are there any soldiers in here? Really? One, two, okay. So you guys know. So you guys talk to them. See if I'm telling the truth. Rob, Derek, yes? Every good soldier knows that the appropriate response to the commander-in-chief is to obey his orders. Right, Rob, Derek? Anybody else that was afraid to raise their hand? Obey his orders without hesitation, without question, even regardless of the personal cost. Correct? Is that right, Rob? Give me an amen or something. Yeah, okay, raise hand. That's an amen. There you go. The superior in every way, Jesus charged His men. And how did He charge them? Let's look back at the text. He first charged His men to be dependent. Mark chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Get this. They were forbidden to take the common provisions that any rational person in Jesus' day would pack if they were getting ready to go on a journey. All they were allowed to take was their staff, that's a walking stick, to help them in their travels. Their sandals, so they got to take their walking shoes. And one layer of undergarments that they had on. They would have to leave behind the things that any good travel agent would, take, would tell you to take. They had to go without taking any food, without a traveling bag. Well, why would they need a traveling bag? They didn't have anything to carry. No cash. No credit cards? Can you imagine? There's no way my wife would let us leave on a trip without a credit card. <laughs> Zippo, beyond that, no extra tunic. Okay, a tunic was an inner garment that they wore next to their body, and an additional one could be used as an extra covering in case they were left outside at night in the cold. So is Jesus just a drill sergeant? Who wants to put his men through a toughness test? Let's see what you guys got. You know, like jungle training? 
you get like, you know, this little knife <laughs> and a pair of socks <laughs> and then they kick you out in the jungle. Survive, suckers. You know, that is that what Jesus is doing? No. He is teaching them here complete and utter dependence by removing the things that would grant them some level of independence on their journey. Leaving behind even the bare minimums for, for this trip would require the disciples to put all of their faith and trust in God to provide through the hospitality of Jewish households for things even as basic as food and shelter. So let me apply this to you and I. The reality is we can never, we never can, or we'll be completely prepared in and of ourselves for Christian ministry. To be and stay on mission for Jesus Christ will require us to completely and fully depend on Him to provide all that we really need. Anyone who places their confidence in themselves or their own provisions and capabilities will sooner or later be sorely disappointed. God wants us as His children to depend on Him and His unlimited power and resources to accomplish the mission He has given us. It's interesting, in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, this is what the man... By the way, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And here's what the man of wisdom prays for. He asks God not to give him riches. I wonder what the prosperity preachers think about that passage. But he asks God, he asks God, do not give me riches for fear that, and now I'm quoting the passage, he would be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, he'd be so rich, why do I need God? Look at my bank account. I can take care of myself. A spirit or attitude of self-sufficiency is inappropriate and not fitting for those who believe in and follow and depend on Jesus Christ. And so, His disciples were charged to be dependent. And so are we. Second, they were charged to be focused. To be focused Look back at the text, Mark chapter 6, verse 10. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, keyword, stay. Stay there until you depart from there. Why would he tell them that? Why would he need to? Well, there were no Hiltons or Motel 6s in Jesus' day. They did not exist. So it was customary for traveling visitors arriving in a community to be taken in by someone and given shelter and food for a short period of time. Now, the point here is if and when Jesus' disciples were taken in, they were to stay in that spot until they were ready to move on to the next community. In other words, they should not seek out better accommodations or move to another place if offered by someone else in the town. So, I'll just, simple. I'm invited in, I get there to town, I'm invited, someone invites me in, 
I stay there, I get there. Ooh, this is kind of a rough living environment, but okay. While I'm in ministry, someone else comes along and says, hey, you know, we're really appreciative of what you're doing. Why don't you come stay in our house? A little bit bigger, a little bit nicer. We'll take care of you. No. You stay right there until it's time to go. Why? Because Jesus wanted them to stay focused on the task at hand and not be concerned about their own personal level of comfort or discomfort while on mission. While on mission. Being on mission for Christ, beloved, is not a personal vacation or pleasure-seeking adventure. The men's focus and passion was to be the proclamation of Jesus' message. And distractions were to be avoided and minimized. Avoided and minimized. That's why he gave them the charge. So, let me apply this. And this one's probably one of the the most significant ones. At least it was to me when I think through these things. Any well-planned operation can fail if the participants do not remain focused on the task. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can have the best well-planned operation, but if those who are to carry it out don't stay focused, which people have a hard time doing today, it will fail. I believe one of the enemy's greatest weapons today in the church of the living God is distractions. Especially in this wonderful land and home that I appreciate called America. Here in America, we have an abundance of options and freedoms that most of the world does not know. We can, I, we, you, we can and easily do lose focus become distracted, and as a result, abandon our mission or never even really get started. And I just list off a few here. Just see if I can tag any of you. For instance, sports. We are a sports-driven type of society. And I am... A gigantic Laker fan. All right, all right, woo! See? If I said that in Uganda, they'd be like, what, Laker? There's lakes over there. We have no idea what you're talking about. But you, quickly, you understand what's going on. I I am. But I had to, in my mission, I realized this was becoming a distraction. Because they play a lot of games. (laughs) So am I, am I going to let... Listen, I like the Lakers. I still like them. I still follow them. But when it becomes a distraction for my mission, proclaiming Christ, when that happens, as a Christian, something's got to give. I either give up my mission or I give up my beloved Lakers. To some degree. Oh, no, don't say that. How about video games? Our culture is addicted. Our men are addicted. Our young men, our older men, the average age is from 25 to 35. Men 
on the computer for hours at a time playing video games. Now, I like video games. I'm on mission. But I'm on the computer for hours and hours. Is there any other way I could use my time in a more productive way to accomplish the most important mission God has given me? So I hear, you know, I'll hear people say stuff like this. Well, I minister while I'm online doing my video games. And that's great if you could pull that off. But typically what I found is that kind of is set aside and we get back into the game. That's just one example. Sleep. (laughs) We need sleep, right? But sleep can become a distraction. Oh, I, I couldn't get up. I can't get up to come to church. It's just too early. Do you know that's why we moved the service to 10.15? But people still say, people still say, I don't know, that's kind of early. You know what? You get up at 5.30 every day of the week to drive to L.A. and go to work. But 10.15 on Sundays too early? Come on. Come on. I can't get up on a Saturday to come and do outreach. I'm tired. You're tired. You get up. You drive to work, you work 8, 10, 12, 14 hours. You do that all week long. But you can't get up and come and walk for an hour. Come on, I'm just saying, think about it. Distractions, beloved. Now I need to sleep. Do you really? Do you, do you really need to sleep? And then there's hobbies, and there's entertainment, and there's movies. You know, I was listening to the radio station. See, this is where I'm going to go long. I told you this is important to me. I was listening to the radio station, my typical Christian. I have a couple of Christian radio stations I listen to. And one of them really, I get upset because more often than not, they're talking about the next movie that's out. And so they have someone that comes on because, hey, it's a beautiful weekend this week. I bet you guys want to go out and see a movie. So we've got this movie interviewer that'll tell you everything about it so you know whether or not you should spend your money. Listen, I go to movies. I go to movies. Is there anything else I could be doing? It's almost like that's it. That I'm here to enjoy myself and kick back and relax and have a good time and enjoy the good weather. Distraction, distraction, distraction. In and of themselves, they are not bad. You know, video games are not evil. Some of them are. Some of them are. Movies, okay, it goes both ways, right? Sleep, sleep's not evil. You need sleep. You need some sleep, guys. I need some sleep. Sports, Lakers, excellence, Lakers. That's good stuff. That's important, right? But when it becomes a distraction and moves us off mission, you you need to recognize that and you need to take action against it. That's all I wanted to point out this morning. Third, they were charged to be serious. They were charged to be serious. Mark chapter 6, verse 11. Look back at the text with me, if you would, please. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. As I said earlier, rejection was going to happen. Not everyone would gladly receive the message that the disciples were bringing. But how were they going to respond to that rejection? That's the question. In this specific historical setting and mission, they are told to shake 
the dust off their feet when they leave. Huh? Huh? Now, this might sound strange to us, but to the Jewish community, they would understand the significance and the seriousness of that gesture, of that act. Gentiles, let me help you out a little bit if you don't know this. Gentiles was the description used for anybody who was not a Jew. Okay? So in the Bible, there's Jews and there's everyone else. Gentiles. For the most part, Gentiles did not fear or follow the God of the Scriptures. Immorality was not uncommon. And worshipping a plurality, multiple gods, and all types of idolatry were common. You can look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and see just one example of that reference to Gentile behavior. Beyond that, Gentile nations were not known for being friendly to Israel. And in fact, throughout its history, had waged war against them, suppressed them. To say that the Jewish people were not fond of Gentiles would be an understatement. They were appalled by their pagan practices and their rejection of the one true God. When a religious Jew would physically leave a Gentile territory, walk out of it, they would shake the dust off of their shoes to show that they did not want to be associated with the Gentiles in any way, including down to their dirt. They didn't even want to carry their defiled, nasty, Gentile dirt on their shoes. So for the disciples to perform this act when leaving a Jewish territory, a Jewish territory, would imply that the Jews' rejection of the message actually made them no better than the godless Gentiles they despised. Now this was not designed by Jesus to be an insult. He wasn't just trying to insult them but to raise the seriousness of their rejection to the maximum level possible. One writer says it this way, it was in effect a testimony against them in reminding them of the greatness of their guilt in rejecting the message of the king and his kingdom. The Jews who saw Gentiles as deserving of God's judgment we're now being told by this symbolic act, the shaking of the dust off their feet, the, Jew, the apostles, that their negative reaction and their unwillingness to repent meant that they could expect judgment too. Not the salvation that they thought was theirs simply because they were born a Jew. They too needed to repent. Application. Here it is. Mark is not telling us that you and I, when we get rejected, should go around shaking the dust, the Fontana dust, off of our feet. That would be weird because you, if you live in Fontana and you're shaking that dust off, you'd have to do it all the time. It would just be strange. But I guess if you lived in another city, it would be appropriate, right? No, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that's what we're supposed to do. As I said before, these are specific instructions, not for, for them, it's historical in nature, and it's not for us or how we're to do ministry, but there are principles here that I'm trying to pull out of the story. 
And here it is. Do we understand and communicate the seriousness of the message of the Gospel? If we do, then we won't treat it like it's unimportant. Some of us, and when I say us, I'm not saying in Summit, but collectively, the Christian... I've been in Christianity for a while and I've seen this stuff and it's a burden to me. Some in the Christian community have an attitude of a take it or leave it. Yeah, Take Jesus, leave Jesus. The message is not, the message that we bring is not, try Jesus. (laughs) You might like Him. The message, the biblical message, beloved, is repent and be saved from God's wrath before it is too late. That's the message. And the messenger should be burdened because he knows what rejection means. So he doesn't leave a person thinking, it's all good. I ran into somebody the other day and I said, I'm sorry. He's like, it's all good. And that, I guess that means, we're cool, bro. Bro means brother. And, okay. Cool means it's all right. <laughs> so we don't leave people with, it's all good. It's all good, you know. You want to do your thing, it's cool. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. What? <laughs> They do their thing. They're going to suffer the wrath of God. People need a serious message, not a cotton candy conversation. Sweet with no substance. They need a serious message, beloved. Look back at the text, verse 12. We're almost there. This is the third stage. Mark 6, verse 12, so they went out. So the 12 here, my last, getting to the last point here, willingly complied. They willingly complied by what? By going. By going. So after receiving the orders, the text simply says they went out. Get this. Hey, Jesus did not have to beg or plead for his disciples to follow his instructions. No manipulation, no bartering. He didn't even have to threaten them of being kicked out of the group. Oh yeah, you don't want to go? You can't be a part of the 12 anymore. No, none of that. None of that. They just went. There doesn't even appear to be a long discussion about the what ifs. Well, uh, what if this happens? Or what if that happens, Jesus? They simply and willingly, in faith, complied by going. You know why? Their mission had been defined by their master. So the only thing left to happen was for it to be fulfilled. Not negotiated, neglected, postponed, forgotten, changed, or resisted. There was no promise, by the way, that the mission would be easy. And in fact, the instructions implied that they would experience opposition. And they would have to go out in faith. Which, beloved, it is not easy to do that. Trusting in God to provide for them along the way. After going, they did not change their minds 
and or flake out halfway through the mission, but they remained faithful to do exactly what Jesus had told them to do. Look back at the text, Mark chapter 6, verse 12. So they went out. So they went out. Did what? Proclaimed. They proclaimed that people should repent. And that brings us to our last point. They willingly complied by proclaiming. They willingly complied by going. They willingly complied by proclaiming. They spoke openly and publicly about the necessity of repentance. That's what they did. The message they proclaimed was very specific. It was the same message that they had heard their master give many times before. And when rejection came, they did not change the message to make it more acceptable. But they remained faithful to tell it like it is. Trusting that Jesus knew what He was doing. Let me just apply this. For us, the question is, for us, for me, for you, will we as Christians, if you are one, and that's who this message is directed at this morning. If you're not one, there's another message for you. Repent. And I would love to talk to you about that. Repent, for God's wrath is coming. But for us, who will not experience that wrath, representatives of Christ, will we willingly comply, will we, Comply with what Jesus has commanded for us, His church, to do? Or will we compromise our mission or even fail to recognize our responsibility to be on mission? I read this quote earlier. Let me read it to you again. We build churches that become nothing more than hiding places for the faithful while pretending that our actions are for the good of the world. Here's Here's one other author. He said it this way. How can we pray for the evangelization of the world when we are unwilling to make sacrifices ourselves to help in that task? How can we expect to reach others when we seek shelter behind a stained glass curtain? That's reference to the church. We don't have any stained glass in here, but... Beloved, Jesus has not called us to keep Him to ourselves or hide out from the world with our Christian friends, but He has called us to go. To go. This is not some special where we say, okay, today, today I'm going to go on mission. No. In Matthew 28:19, the passage we all turn to, when He commands His disciples to go, it's better read this way, as you go. It's better understood that way. Because we think it's some special event or occasion. No! If you've been born again, as you live your life, you are on mission. Meaning, as you go to work, as you go to your neighborhoods, as you go and hang out with friends, as you go to the marketplace, as you go, your mission is to be making disciples. 
proclaiming the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Reaching out, beloved, to a difficult and defiant world. Proclaiming the message of the cross. Completely depending on His strength and provisions to fulfill our mission. Avoiding the numerous distractions that can compromise and regularly do our mission. And communicating in word and in action the seriousness of our message. I think about you guys, and my wife can attest to this, all the time. And I I am thankful for what God has done and who He has brought here. And my prayer is that God might make summit not just another church of the many, but make the people who are the church burn with a passion to be on God's mission and not their own. Living to make known the great salvation and reconciliation that is available only through His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, what God could do with us if we just said, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm on mission. I'm going to show you this one last verse. Just read it to you. In case you think I make all this stuff up. I want to make sure this stuff comes from the Bible, guys. Not some dude who can talk loud. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, that's good news. The old things has the old has passed away. Behold, listen up. The new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ, His Son, reconciled us to Himself. And, did it end there? Why did He reconcile us to Himself? That we might have the ministry the responsibility, the privilege, the honor, the mission of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. In other words, making us right with Him. Not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. And, oh, here it is, entrusting to who? Us, those who are new creations in Christ, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, in case you missed it, we are ambassadors. We are. For the U.S. of A., 
for Christ. God making his appeal through us. I can't even believe it, but that's the way he does it. He appeals through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ. Do you know that word implore? It can also be interpreted beg or plead. Because of the seriousness of the issue, we implore you on behalf of Christ as ambassadors of reconciliation, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Do we have a closing song? I'm going to pray. And then we will close with the song. Father God in heaven, we we are your people because of your Son Jesus Christ and the work that He accomplished for us on that cruel, cold cross. Father, you have left us here not that we, not for the purpose of of building bigger barns and storing stuff up in them. (laughs) But that we may work hard and long, staying focused on the task that is the most important task for your church. That is to proclaim your Son. Because through Him, people can be reconciled back to You. Father, help us because we get screwed up in this area on a regular basis and we get off mission. For many of us, we haven't even entered into the mission. Some of us may not even know that we're supposed to be on mission and yet it is clear and repeated regularly in Your Word. That is why You have left us here. So, Father, help us to stop trying to to find our satisfaction and our our fulfillment in the things of this world, in the stuff of this world, in the distractions of this world. But, God, help me and help us to remain focused on the task that You have given us to proclaim the excellencies of Him. We need Your strength. We need your provisions. We need faith. We need help. But Father, you give it in abundance. So let us be thankful. And today, and on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and every day of the week, you let our heart beat and you allow our lungs to expand. Will you sink deep into our hearts a passion, a burning passion to share Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world? Why? So that summit can get bigger? No. So that Jesus can be put on display. So that His name would go out throughout our cities and our state in our union and the world, so that He would become famous and known in a saving way. For Your glory alone, God, would You do this through this small body, Summit Bible Church. Amen.